my friends, the great experiment. The greatest trick, trick, trick. Hit it. Trick, trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick, trick. Two people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. A lot of speculation that this was done under some kind of duress, that <laughs> some someone has compromat on us. That uh, Oh, yeah. I mean, it almost didn't happen at all. I'm, I'm getting over some, some illness. I was sick all weekend. Probably can hear it in my voice still. Oh, yeah. This is the plausible call-in sick voice, right? Can you go deep again with... With the Barry White voice? I don't, th- I, I don't think, I, I, I don't think. I, oh, it stuffs up. Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't think it's there. Oh, man. Yeah, I was doing um, Duolingo this morning, and when it has you, like, try to pronounce the shit that you're learning, mm-hmm. which is always comical for me. Yeah. But uh, some of these characters in this Duolingo app have very funny vo- voices, and so I always try and mimic the voices when I'm doing it. And, uh... I couldn't hit the low notes that the guys were hidden. Not too long ago, we did a bit on the hit Star Trek podcast, Greatest Generation, where we we did some sick calls. Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. I feel like I believe you. I believe this voice is a sick voice. Mm-hmm. And as as a manager, I just want to say, hey, maybe we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Be well. On that, Marin, I was saying, plug one nostril. Yeah. It sounded great in my head. Yeah. And then I listened back to it when we QA'd, and I was like, that doesn't sound like a sick person. That sounds like a person plugging their nose. You sound so much better slash worse for that purpose right now. Yeah, right. Exactly. I have like a baseball of dried mucus just clogged in my sinuses right now. It's, yeah. it's, it's all of the resonance that I draw on to do low notes. Mm. It's gone. Yeah. But I sound awesome if I was going to call in sick. Yeah. You know what a person should do is bank sick call recordings when they're actually sick. Wow. To use when they just want a day off to like go see a ball game or something. I should record a bunch of samples of myself talking into one of those AI things and just yeah. train an AI to sound like sick Ben. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> there you go. I think sick Ben could do a lot of work. This is a real like Seinfeld present day kind of story pitch i think george would definitely do this yeah yeah sick george (laughs) believe it or not i'm still sick yeah that's it exactly yeah so anyways uh, i don't think we can review babylon 5 today is is, uh you know the that's the long way of saying I, i think we probably shouldn't bother with this one Amazing. Well, I think we'll uh, throw it to Wendy from here. How about new? Nah, we couldn't do it to people. We should talk about like whether what we watched is even the pilot of Babylon 5 mm-hmm. briefly. Sure. Before we get too deep into it, because uh-huh. what we watched is season one, episode one, by many reckonings. But it is not the first Babylon 5 thing that ever existed, because there was the year before... Babylon 5 came out, they released like a TV movie set in the Babylon 5 verse. It was a real, uh, would anybody watch this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kind of thing? Someday, maybe maybe a good uh, pilot season episode for Greatest Trek Behind the Paywall would be to go back and 
watch that for Baywatch because Baywatch started with a TV movie that was, you know, a backdoor pilot. Yeah. It's real fucked up. I would love that. It does not have a great uh, take on like mental health as an issue, <laughs> that pilot. But man, the thing it started, holy moly. And the thing this started, this is where it all started, Adam. Really is. I, uh, I can't believe it. I can't believe we're doing this. I think we should just get into it, Ben. Let's do it. Here it is, you sick Babylon 5 freaks. <laughs> Babylon 5, season one, episode one, midnight on the firing line. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. And I was just so excited to start where we start. Ragesh 3. Oh, my God. To, to be back at Ragesh 3 after all these years. It's a little jarring to turn on Babylon 5 and be confronted with the constraints that every show from the early 90s had to face. You know? Truly. Like, if you have this budget... This is why there isn't more science fiction. Right. Because when you're allocating your resources, effects and costumes and loaf and sets and all this shit really add up. Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't you rather spend all those things on David Hasselhoff or something? You can't. <laughs> Just the like the moose budget to get all of these guys' hair the way it is on Babylon 5. Absolutely astronomical. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a whole kind of alien who are the people we first meet here. I guess they're called the Centaurians. And uh, they just look like humans, but they've got extra big eyebrows and like pointy vampire teeth. And then this half halo of hair. They, they, they comb their hair straight up and out in kind of a half halo around the top of their head. My shorthand for them is bedheads. I just call them bedheads. <laughs> yeah, they all do look freshly fucked. They're just minding their own beeswax at this agricultural colony when a great big hole opens up in space and a bunch of spaceships come through it and they're all freaking out, man, because this is a sneak attack. RSVP, kind of a lot of bedheads, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. These bedheads are dead. When the explosion happens, the guy is, is trying to broadcast a distress signal and he says, tell them it's the, <laughs> and then it's the kaboom. And you can tell that they didn't have anything in the script and the actor didn't say anything after the the, like yeah. in the script, it's the dot, dot, dot. Tell them it's the. You're not shooting for the edit. You're, you're shooting for the script here. Exactly. And I just got to say, like, if you are going to make a thing where somebody gets cut off like that, you've got to have the actor say something because it doesn't sound right That's if true. they end on the ellipsis. Yeah. We cut from this scene over to Babylon 5. We meet Garibaldi and Londo. Londo being one of the bedheads. Yeah. And uh, he is not someone that Garibaldi likes or trusts. It's a scene that establishes... That maybe the Centauri are kind of squirrely folks. Yeah. All I'm asking is that you trust me. Trust you. 
Londo, my brain will be five days dead before I ever trust a Centauri. I feel like they designed the character of Londo first and then we're like, oh, I guess there'll be other people from his planet also. So we got to figure out what they have in common with him. I get that. But yeah. his character design looks very Napoleon to me. And the hair is just the hat that Napoleon wears, you know, but he's got right. that like kind of militaristic, you know, regalia that he wears that the coat and, and the jodhpurs and everything. And I feel like they were just like, what if Napoleon, but hair instead of hat is the, is the design of this alien. Yeah, that's, that's a great call. And I think, there is a ton that runs in parallel with a a quark figure, a a Ferengi type in in look and manner. Absolutely. When you yeah. think about Londo and you think about uh, Quark and and the establishment of his character, I wrote a note that was like, "This is a knockoff of Star Trek that imagines what if humans had met the Ferengi instead of the Vulcans first. Sure. Yeah. So Garibaldi doesn't like Londo, doesn't trust him. Extremely unclear for a very long time what Garibaldi's deal is. Yeah. I don't want to do this too much. Like, I don't want to do that direct comparison to Star Trek. But I do feel like one thing Star Trek tends to do pretty well in its pilots, at least, is establish exactly who the, the commanding officer is and the hierarchy below that commanding officer throughout and we meet a lot of people before we even meet the commanding officer on this ship that serves to confuse a little bit what the roles are and how important people might be. Yeah, because Garibaldi seems maybe like he's third in command or yeah. something. Yeah. And maybe has kind of a wharf-like role on this show, some, some kind of security guy. You give a guy like this a buzz cut and a ton of dialogue up front, I think you could forgive people for thinking this was the guy. And with the way his role is in the show and the construction of the story with sort of being the one to describe the relationship between humans and these people suggests an air of importance with him. Totally, yeah. The actor Jerry Doyle also just feels like to me, he feels like a guy who probably saw freaks at a lot of casting calls before either of them got shows. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's got a, a similar vibe. They don't really look that similar, but like the energy is really similar to me. The backstory here, pretty interesting. The idea of the Centauri feeling a sense of ownership over Earth slash humanity and that being a kind of running tension in the two societies Totally. I dig it. I dig it too. There is a resemblance there between uh, a person with bad head and a Centauri. <laughs> Appearances aside, we're two completely different species. Yeah. We also meet Londo's like helper guy who's kind of a breathless dweeb who uh, comes in and tells us about this attack that we saw in the cold open. Bobby Moynihan has been playing this character for decades it was, it was kind of amazing to see this performance made by someone else. Yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah. Stephen First. Londo learns about this sneak attack from this hench, and that pushes us into the theme. And this theme is so interesting. I don't think Star Trek has ever done this or would ever do this because the timeline is, is fairly established in the Star Trek shows. But this is a theme that really requires the backstory that it gives you. Like, yeah. what is this ship? 
What year is it? Why is it important? These are questions that are answered in the theme of every episode of Babylon 5. And I think it's great (laughs) if you want a person flipping through the channels to drop on in and maybe get hooked on this. This is an invitation as a theme. And like many of the TV themes of its era, definitely showing a lot of footage of exciting stuff from the show. Like every time they got a a really cool wide shot with a ton of aliens and loaf in the first, you know, several episodes, they probably earmarked it for, we're using this in the theme. Every time they had a ship fire on another ship and had a big explosion, we're using this in the theme. I, yeah, I love the quality of a show that has shot its first season, but has not constructed the theme footage until that season has been shot. So you're yeah. seeing future events happen. That's fun. Yeah. But also it has that like MacGyver quality where it's like the yeah. show has has one explosion per episode, but the theme has 75, you know? So real fast, it's Babylon 5 and it's 2258. This is the last station of its kind. It is a very big and long place. And the whole point of Babylon 5 is that it's a place that mixes humans and aliens so they can work out their conflicts before those conflicts turn to war. It has kind of a, like, wretched hive of scum and villainy connotation butted right up against its last best hope for peace connotation, which really reminded me of uh, the planet of galactic peace from Star Trek V. Yeah. Like, it's a bunch of dirtbags hanging out in a strip club, but also they're all diplomats and could be the the people that ultimately prevent a horrible war from breaking out. I wish they played up the scale of this place a little more, and maybe this is something that you will fully recognize as, as this first season goes on. But, like, in a lot of the cutaways, in a lot of the fighter ship departures, in a lot of the... Uh, I'm just going to call them like turbo lift and a lot of the turbo lift rides, like the compositions are so close that you're deprived of that sense of scale totally in a place that's so big. I can I could have used a little more of that. Yeah. There's, I mean, for a first episode, I feel like it was a little, that stuff was a little sparse. Like I wanted a better establishment of place and maybe that movie does yeah. a better job of that than this, but like, if you're making this show, you can't count on people having seen that, right? Like this is Correct. the this is probably going to be most people's first introduction. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So after the theme Londo demands all of the information, like all of the military information about this attack from Sinclair and Sinclair is the commanding officer of Babylon 5. Yeah. I was confused in this scene about whether or not this was Garibaldi. And this is just a new viewer who dis <laughs> kind of quality. Like you get a couple of middle-aged flat tops in a room wearing the same uniform yeah. in a show I'm not familiar with. It's going to take me a little bit to get it. The pips were such a brilliant innovation by TNG. Like I know they exactly really who's in charge based on the number of pips, except for I'm a little confused by Worf because he too is decorated. Gakar walks in, played by Andreas Katsoulis from The Fugitive, among many, many, many other roles. He is covered in lizard loaf. Yeah. He looks great. Looks awesome. He's a Narn. He's a Narn. There's also another lady whose name and ethnicity I didn't clock, but she appears to be 
one of the other diplomats from another alien species, and she's got kind of like a bony structure on the back of her head, like a Ferengi. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's bone or if that's like a very special hat. That's bone. Unclear what her deal is structurally with her skull. Yeah. What you got in there? <laughs> there is a, a long, long history between the Narn and the Centauri, and it's very bloody. And so when Gakar projects this air of sadness and empathy toward Londo, Londo's not having that shit. You know nothing about this attack, Shikar? I'm as astonished as you are. Londo is already pretty sure this whole situation's the Narn's fault. Who would you pick in a fight, Jakar or Shakar from uh, Deep Space Nine? <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I'm going to take the one with the claws and the sharp teeth. Yeah, Jakar seems, I mean, he seems like an asshole, but like he would actually win in a fight. <laughs> it's so interesting that you take a guy like Andreas Katsoulis, like an actor of inherent gravitas. Yeah. And you stick red contact lenses in his eyes and you absolutely cover him with lizard scales. And he's so intense of a performer that the intensity just cuts through all of that. I was riveted by him throughout this episode. Yeah, he was one of the Romulans in TNG that has like a lot of extra stuff up on the forehead. Yeah. Ambassador Tomala, welcome aboard the Enterprise. Thank you, Ed. Was that Northerners? He's a Northerner? <laughs> yeah, maybe so, yeah. Did we learn something about that in Picard? He's, uh, he's got the ridges. We called them ruffles. Yeah. Back in that season. But yeah, like this is a whole different loaf scope that we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah, so this is a diplomatic McLaughlin group. Issue one. They're going to convene another meeting. It's like, you kind of get the sense that this is an ongoing crisis. Like this attack proceeds apace, and they're like, I'm glad we're having this meeting about it. Let's plan some more meetings for later. Right, and it suggests like the whole reason a place like this exists and why it's just full of ambassadors that are there to chop this stuff up. It's just rotten with them. So later, Garibaldi shows up on what I'm going to guess is kind of the bridge slash ops. He's got to run and grab a, a fighter and go check out a distress signal they're receiving. And he leaves, and then this blonde lady comes in and uh, tries to introduce herself to Lieutenant Commander Ivanova, who is the kind of uh, second-in-command lady of this station. Star Trek gets a lot of shit for carpeting all of their areas, but you get a scene like this in Babylon 5 where you can hear every footfall of these boots on this hard floor, and it totally (laughs) explains the reasoning. Yeah. Because, like, this scene starts, like, here's our establishing shot, and then blomp, blomp, blomp. <laughs> Just got your message. What's up? We're picking up a long-range distress signal from a ship near the secondary jump point. It is a very echoey set. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can barely hear this lady <laughs> as she introduces herself as Talia Winter's licensed commercial telepath. Yeah. She's like a like an accountant, but for brainwaves, I guess. Tough first day at work to like introduce yourself to the second in command, this Ivanova, who absolutely shits in her mouth. Like, there is nothing great about this first impression being made here. Yeah. Excuse me, but I'm in the middle of 15 things, all of them annoying. 
Thank you for coming by. The telepath lady is just trying to follow procedure, introduce herself to the second of command, as it says in the rule book. Ivanova has no time for it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with what Talia's doing. Maybe a little loud with the boots. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe wear a slipper onto the bridge next time, <laughs> Talia. Unclear, like, if she has other duties. Like, it's a, she says that she's been there for a few weeks and has been, like, trying desperately to get in touch with the bosses. So I wonder if he's, if she's just, like, sitting in her room, like, wondering, like, do I even have a job here, man? Like, what's going on? I wonder how intentional that is if you're suggesting a size and scope of the bureaucracy so enormous on a ship so big that you could, like, report for duty and cool your heels for two fucking weeks before, <laughs> like, she's not missed, clearly. Yeah. Maybe she could have taken another couple weeks. It might have flown by in some voiceover. Did you clock a population size on Deep Space Nine? Not, not Deep Space Nine, on Babylon 5. I, no. I remember something about like 2.5 million metric tons of steel when they yeah. talk about like how big it is. And I was like, wow, that sounds really big, but I don't. We need to get the steel to person ratio. Yeah. Like, like what does like a big cruise ship have in terms of steel? I don't know. I don't know. Most of it's bathroom. Yeah. From what I know. It's almost all bathroom. So Garibaldi and another X-Wing go through uh, this big hole. Oh. It's a different color than the hole that the bad guys came out of at mm -hmm. the beginning. So I don't know if there's any significance in that. But we catch to Commander Sinclair's office where he's got the TV on. And we, we learn that uh, this is all happening against the backdrop of a presidential election back on Earth. Yeah. Boy, the rapidity with which they they pivot the conversation into a who are you voting for conversation, pretty <laughs> pretty bracing for uh, someone used to the modern workplace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this is in that period of the 90s where I was like, ah, who gives a shit? Yeah. Pretty much the same either way, right? Were you surprised at all with where in the episode the here's who Sinclair is as a character scene happened. This only added to my confusion of not so much who's in charge, but who's important on the show. Right. Because this, this really introduces the commanding officer here and what his whole backstory is and maybe, you know, how close he and his XO are. It's a good scene for Sinclair. Yeah. It makes me kind of impressed with his deal, I mean, he's a veteran. He was a pilot, just like his dad was a pilot. The Sinclairs have been fighter pilots all the way back to the Battle of Britain. He's steely, you know? I guess that would be my description for him. Yeah, he has a steely glint. He's not going to be flapped. He doesn't say who he's going to vote for. Yeah, that's the trap, right? Yeah, Ivanova also, I feel like, is written like she has a much thicker Russian accent than the <laughs> actor playing her. Because she's yeah. like, I think I am voting for the other guy. This president has too weak of chin. I do not trust a man with weak of chin, you know? <laughs> I love the choice the actor makes here, if that's the case, because she's like, I don't want to be stuck with this <laughs> for seven seasons and five movies or whatever. Yeah. We get picked up the series? No way. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, Londo watches footage of the attack on the agricultural colony, and uh, he backs it up. He punches in, he enhances, and he's able to ID a Narn ship. Oh, man. And this confirms his suspicion, obviously, 
but also it confirms his suspicion of how full of shit Gakar was earlier. Jakar! He was faking his sympathies in that earlier scene, and he knew it. Bastard Jakar, he said he knew nothing of this. Yeah, what a fucking asshole. So Londo grabs his coat and storms out, and we cut over to Garibaldi and uh, his X-Wing, and they're like inspecting the wreck of a ship that got taken out by raiders. And uh, we're looking at some real massive ordnance that must have made the holes in the side of this ship. Yeah. Yeah, this thing's ripped open like a tomato can. Ben, did you have an idea of like, let's talk about these little X-shaped fighters they're flying. Are they standing up to fly them as if they're like driving a forklift or something? Uh, I kind of thought that they were. Yeah, like those mech suits in uh, Aliens. Yeah. Where you want it? <laughs> Bay 12, please. That sort of comports with the shape of them because mm-hmm. it, later we see them up against another ship that is a much flatter orientation. And yeah, I think you might be right about that. I would have loved to see a set with one of these and somebody getting into it, but that would probably be too expensive to build and hard to do for your first episode or something. There sure does seem to be two types of science fiction. There's the science fiction where ships move in two dimensions, like Star Trek, or I guess Star Wars sometimes bends into three dimensions, but Babylon 5 definitely believes that your ships can move like they're in water, like they're very spinny and floaty in a way that I think space actually is. Yeah. It looks really good. Yeah, the camera is a lot more dynamic than uh, especially early Trek. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, there doesn't, seem to be a local vertical that they're really stressed about preserving in terms of shot continuity. Yeah. Back on the station, these two diplomats nearly come to blows. The uh, Centaurian guy, Londo, and Jakar meet up at like an outdoor cafe kind of thing and uh, almost get in a fist fight over this Narn attack. Oh, crap, it's one of my friends. Did he see what I was eating? Are you in trouble because of that? I mean, Londo's real hot under the collar, and Jakar's protesting like, I, like I wasn't told until later, which is like not really an excuse. Like you're sitting having a cup of coffee. Like if you just got told that your government had like launched a war against somebody, you would probably be like doing something, right? Yeah, and and like the reveal with Jakar toward the end really pays off the tension of a scene like this, which is like. Fuck me for judging a book by its cover, but like Jakar does not look like a guy who you'd want to knock a plate of food out from. Like, yeah, he yeah. seems like the biggest guy in the bar to break a, a chair over the pack of to to like start the rumble. Like, you'd never want to do that. But here's Londo walking right in there and starting shit with a guy who looks like he could absolutely tear him in half. Spitting on the plate. Bastard. This guy has fucking red contact lenses in, man. <laughs> it's the restraint of Jakar that I think really satisfies by the end of the episode. That like when he finally reveals his true nature, yeah. it makes all of this tension really feel palpable. Yeah. So uh, Sinclair comes to visit Londo in his apartment later and... Londo is uh, is not exactly a cagey guy. Does he's not like one of those diplomats that like only lets out enough information to get his point across. Yeah, he takes out the whole thing. I will kill him though, 
sooner or later. He basically is like, yeah, like I've been dreaming about murdering that guy for a long time. And I, I promise I will. Like he's going to die at my hand. That's not a secret. And then he like gets into a little more specifics about the dream that it's 20 years from now and that he's old when it happens. And <laughs> Sinclair's like, all right, so I've got some time to prepare myself and maybe like leave the show and be recast. <laughs> that's part of the tension this is all related to that comment I made up top which is like who is important on the show because Londo invites Sinclair over to his place yeah, to like be the audience for this gripe that he's got and it seems beneath him to be in there it really does. And it may just be like the motif of this apartment. Like it's really got that first apartment after college vibe, like where every flat surface is covered with liquor bottles. Oh, yeah. And like the the mix of insane looking pillows that a secondhand store would turn down the donation of. Like it just gives you a headache to look at. Yeah. A hundred percent of the furniture is stuff that he found on the street on the second day of the month, any yeah. given month, because people were moving. It looks nuts. There's a social media account uh, run by Jorg Hildebrand, I think. I think most Star Trek people will recognize his name and what he does. But all he seems to do is go episode by episode and like do prop detail work. Like, what is this thing? Yeah. How many other episodes did it appear in? Where can you buy it? Or how is it constructed? It's really deep stuff. But what he does made me think of a scene like this because... This apartment is an example of so many other sets where the background is just smooth. And so much work, I think, in Star Trek is done with texture. And yeah. when you combine light and texture, what you have is a scene that looks real and lived in and detailed. And what Babylon 5 is struggling against is the lack of texture and the lack of texture, but with the same light. And what it does is it just flattens out all these backgrounds in such a way that it really makes them less interesting than they could be. Something that they didn't struggle with as much in the pilot for Sequest and yeah. something I think will be worth keeping an eye out for as we go through on this little project of ours. Because, yeah. I mean, Sequest had so much like curvature in their backgrounds and like machinery. But also a network budget. I was noticing like this dude's, he has like upper and lower cabinets in his kitchen area and there yeah. are no doors on the upper or lower cabinets. Like th those are just blocks of something. Like they're, yeah. they're not functional at all. Yeah. I love the orientation of it. It's a very Seinfeld apartment style orientation to the camera, you know? Yeah. And you see this all the time in TV. Like nothing is ever facing straight at the camera. It's always going to be angled. Yeah. And we haven't talked about it a ton, but like- there is like a C storyline where Londo gets like a cleaning lady and then kind of starts sleeping with the cleaning lady. And right. then pretty soon he's just sleeping with her and she's not even really cleaning, but she's still taking the 40 bucks at the end of every visit. And Would you want to pick up every single bottle and dust it and put it down in Londo's apartment? That seems like a real pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Give me a break. Also obsessed with Superman. Okay. Uh, we cut to Garibaldi. On uh, let's just call this the promenade. Okay. He's eating some uh, some meat pyramids and some fruit. Ivanova comes over to him and is like, "So what happened when you went out and inspected that wreck?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, there were a lot of dead people." 
I mean, it was, it was bad. She's like, you didn't want to like put this in a report or anything? Like we're having this conversation after hours? I think it is an important scene to articulate. Like think about the scenes we've gotten with Ivanova before. She's super buttoned up with the commanding officer, Sinclair. She fucking hates Talia Winters for some reason, but she is really, really, really cool with Garibaldi. Like all of the rank shit feels kind of dropped with him as though they've known each other for a long time. Yeah. This is a closeness that even Talia recognizes because you see Talia kind of skulking around in the background here. Yeah, she has like a, a thirstiness for Ivanova that is further established in this scene, but not explained yet. Yeah. Her presence in this scene was very interesting to me because it's it's pretty unusual in a show like this for a character to have like no lines at all. Like, like yeah. this is not portrayed as sinister. It's just curiosity, you know? I really want to point out something here too, and this is something that's been kind of an obsession for me for as long as we've been doing shows like this, which is like thinking about people's inner lives and what they're doing when they're not on screen. I love the idea of a person coming back from a mission and eating right away. Yeah. Like that just feels real. Yeah. And you never really get that in Star Trek. Like the, like you get a post-mission debriefing, but you don't get a, a fucking shower <laughs> or a meal or whatever. Yeah. You got to be hungry, right? I mean, he is, and uh, and he's taking care of himself, you know? Yeah. First things first. Yeah. Good job by him. So uh, the commander now goes and uh, meets with another diplomat who no-showed the conference. Kosh is this person's name, and Kosh is like a light behind a stained glass wall. A changing partition? Yeah, like Kosh is doing something very sexy back there, clearly. Kosh is like, wait a second, I'm just changing. <laughs> yeah, and, and like the shadow cast on the changing partition does not leave a lot to the old imagination. Yikes. You know what I mean? Greetings, Commander. I wasn't sure if Kosh was a light or a gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's like a suit that Kosh can wear. Yeah. Also, and it's just sitting empty when the commander first comes in. This is the the era of the television show that aired very late at night. That was just like set up punchline, set up punchline, like direct to camera with a little box in the corner. Yeah. Real uh, Kosh.0 mm. kind of program. Yeah, yeah. I heard uh, Darwin the Dolphin really liked this scene also because uh, when the commander puts on that, that gas mask to go in the room, Darwin was like, Is he into breath play too? <laughs> cool. I love how weird this alien design is. Yeah. Like very first episode, let's get a gas alien. It's a good puppet. There's like some kind of like hole that opens and closes on the front of the helmet when the puppet becomes mm -hmm. animated. And uh, it looks like wet and gross, even though it's supposed to be like a suit that enables this creature to you know, go into the environments that humans are adapted to. I love the sense of being above it that a creature like this must have when being asked about the concerns of like, corporeal folks like yeah 
what the fuck does this guy have to worry about? What are you going to do? Shoot him? Yeah. You can't shoot him. I'd like to see you try. And the commander's like, hey, so like you worried about these guys uh, killing each other? And, and he's like, nope, doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to kill each other off and, and that's their destiny. Yeah. We should let them pass. Who? The Narn or the Centauri? Yes. Yeah, I like that. I like that about Kosh. Seems like this show really did their Kosh benefit analysis correctly. <laughs> we need to score a lot of laughs fast. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from... What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality, and there's a ton of variety. We've got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options. And uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back on the bridge, Garibaldi's doing some uh, snooping about the transport that they saw earlier being all busted up, but he's doing it at Ivanova Station. She takes great umbrage with this. Yeah. Another line that I really think the writers envisioned being spoken in a, in a heavy Russian accent. Is there a reason for this? Or to save time, should I just go ahead and snap your hands off at the wrist? Weren't you a little bumped by a scene earlier where they, they got along great? While he was eating lunch, now that he's sitting at her station, yeah, she wants to fuck him up. There's a heavy-duty familiarity there, I yeah. think. Yeah. We cut back to the Londo condo, and he is absolutely on one about a yeah. message he got from uh, the Centauri leaders. They are choosing to do nothing about this incident on Ragish 3 because Ragish 3 is too insignificant to start a war over. And besides, by the time they, they launched a rescue mission or whatever, they're dead anyway. What difference does it make? Yeah. Just writing the whole thing off as a loss. Yeah. And we learned from Londo earlier that he has like a nephew that works there. So it's, it's very personal for him. So he's really pissed off. And you can tell he's been doing some drinking. Mm-hmm. And he's like tossing bottles at the walls of his apartment. Maybe this is why they didn't do any carpeting on the walls. Great call. You know, if he hauled off with that tequila bottle and it just bounced off the wall and didn't break, just splashed some tequila against the carpet, it would have looked terrible. Yeah, that's true. But in a in a station this big, I wonder how scarce the condos are. And this guy seems pretty rich, right? Yeah, he seems loaded. Look at what he's wearing. Look at the regalia. He's got all those statues with boobs. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he just moves to another one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like a rock band touring different fine hotels. He wants to embarrass the Centaurian government. This is a great plan. This is always the kind of thing that works out well for diplomats. <laughs> and uh, the, the way he's going to do it is engineering a situation where everybody at this upcoming council meeting votes to help out the colony against the Narn attack, and it'll make the Centaurians look like feckless dickheads. Pretty dark plan. Yeah. He's pissed. <laughs> Do you like Londo at this point, and are you supposed to? No, I think that the little thing about how much 
we can't trust Centaurians at the beginning from Garibaldi yeah. has me convinced that Londo is working for interests that are not those of humanity in general and not even necessarily those of his own government at this point. I mean, let's do a temperature check on everyone. Who do you like? I don't think you're supposed to like Ivanova. I don't yeah. know how you're supposed to feel about Sinclair. I think Garibaldi is being positioned as the guy, like the favorite. Yeah, he's kind of the everyman. He's uh-huh. kind of the O'Brien of the of the show. Sure. He gets on the elevator with our telepath lady, Talia Winters, and uh, really wastes no time in trying to get into those telepathic pants. And I would say... She's like pretty receptive to it. It's not like she shuts him down or anything. What's so crucial about this scene is her telepathness. Because when the scene's over and she leaves the lift, like she smiles at the clumsy pass, which suggests it being not a dangerous or creepy situation. A like maybe even an innocent pass done to her. You don't need to be a telepath to know that Garibaldi is talking about that dick, though. Okay, okay, my second favorite thing in the universe. It's weird that she has, like, a legitimate question and professional gripe about Ivanova, and that's where the scene pivots after. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, you can always find her at the bar after work. Yeah. So, tell you what, go pay her a visit and then come, come by my place and I'll pull it out. Make sure that she's been there for a couple of drinks first. (laughs) We visit a garden area of Babylon 5. Yeah. A uh, open air kind of biosphere looking setup. Well, this is the one shot that I can think of in this episode that gives a hint at how big this place is. Because up the wall in the background, you can see that They're on the inside of like a rotating cylinder that has like farms and buildings and rivers and shit. And I guess it's like that rotation that gives them the gravity. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like we've seen this kind of setup in a lot of sci-fi before. But uh, yeah, this this was the one shot that we got of it. And I was like, oh, I didn't I didn't realize I thought that I thought that Babylon 5 was like a large office tower and there were like floors going the other way. It's such a... Trope might be too strong of a word, but like when a when an authority figure is just by themselves looking out of a staring window or in the garden center of a science fiction spaceship or whatever. Yeah. Like, wow, Sinclair, real thinking man. Yeah. Real observant. Real careful. He's probably over there thinking about how Lonto was talking about killing Jakar. Mm-hmm. When Jakar walks in and talks about like, yeah, we actually want to wipe all the Centaurians. I will confess that I look forward to the day when we have cleansed the universe of the Centauri and carved their bones into little flutes for Narn children. That eve of warness of this moment made me think of uh, Best of Both Worlds Part 1. You know that walk that Picard takes around the ship? Yeah. I feel like this is what both Sinclair and Jakar are doing. Yeah. Because it seems almost certain that this war is going to turn hot. But Londo's the only one that has anything that's close to the Guinan hat, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, I think that's where your metaphor kind of falls apart. But Jakar's like, look, everyone's taking sides, and I'm pretty sure I know which one you should take. 
Sinclair. I mean, we did supply you with all those weapons during your previous war. Like, I feel like it's only right to be on our side. Yeah. Like, we did you a solid. You need to do one for us. You owe us. Not a chance. So the Narn are also kind of like Ferengi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we learn. Yeah. And Sinclair takes great umbrage with this. This is not a special relationship. Narns will sell to anyone who can afford the credits. Man, Sinclair shames the fuck out of this guy. Like, Jakar seems like a dickhead, but he's not the one that did the attack on the colony at the beginning. And yeah. Sinclair is as mad at him as if he did. Yeah, it, it, it's the sneak attackness on unarmed people that is especially cowardly yeah. to Sinclair. And he is not afraid to get right up in Jakar's face the way Londo did. Yeah, it's fucking intense. You keep pushing Jakar around, I think eventually he's going to bite your neck off. <laughs> See that guy's teeth? They're yeah. intense. Yeah. They're really big. Really great scene between them, though. Yeah, a great little halfway point in the episode. After that little blow up, Sinclair and Garibaldi are in the same place at the same time. A scene that once and for all establishes that they are different people. <laughs> yeah, their uniforms are a slightly different color, which I hadn't realized until I saw them up next to each other. Yeah. Garibaldi has kind of figured out where the next attack by raiders might be taking place and that it's going to happen to a ship that's full of Fujis. So he's pretty worried about it. And uh, he gets the go ahead from Sinclair to take a wing of fighters out to see if they can intervene on behalf of this ship. And uh, we cut back to Sinclair's office where he's getting chewed out by some kind of senator, like I guess there's like one Earth government and the Senate is stressed about this like galaxy being on the verge of war situation, right? And you know, with a presidential election coming right up, you don't want to uh, change horses midstream. You don't want to throw off the election either. Yeah. I mean, this is science fiction, right? The, the idea of war being bad in an election year. Yeah. Weird. This incident has risen to the level of needing to talk to someone in the body politic, right? Yeah. And this guy seems pretty important. If you can't postpone the meeting, then I am authorized by the subcommittee to tell you to abstain. His main thrust here is that Earth has got to remain neutral. And Sinclair is under orders to make sure that, that whatever meeting happens among the alien parties, uh, make sure that the votes go that way. Yeah, we're just not going to cast a vote on this one. Mm-hmm. Say present. <laughs> so Ivanova comes in and Sinclair's like, all right, well, you didn't hear any of that. You're just going to vote yes on riding to the aid of this colony. I'm going to take that fighter wing that Garibaldi's got going out to, to do that because uh, because of reasons. This is a great bit of... Uh... I know about the Prime Directive, but see, we're all the way out here, and I'm the commanding officer, so, like, we're just gonna do the thing that I say we need to do. Like, this is a fun bit of Sinclair being a little bit above the law and thinking a little bit creatively, you know, for being on the frontier, for being, you know, at the tip of this spear. Yeah. I like this plan. This idea that Sinclair was the one ordered to do a thing, but he could just say that... He was caught up in some bullshit and had to delegate and that 
person he delegated to didn't have all the information. Right. It's not too far-fetched. Yeah. This is how Sinclair avoids being the cat's paw of the Earth government, though. Right. So he gets in his fighter and uh, heads out on his mission. And meanwhile, we cut to the big diplomatic conference. And uh, this does not go the way I think everyone was expecting it to go. We, we pan around, we see all the different cross-eyed aliens that have come to attend this meeting. And the lady ambassador with the weird bony structure on her head says the thing about like, hey, like maybe let's not get ourselves all geared up for genociding each other. And then Jakar stands up and starts pontificating. And he's like, I've got proof that this is all fine. <laughs> and he throws to video and they've got like a live stream coming from the colony. It is the nephew of Lanto on the screen and he's like blinking in Morse code and talking about how they've been well treated and what they'd just really like to do as a colony is become more aligned with the the Narn than they have been with the Centauri so far. It's so coerced. You could practically see a pixelated dustbuster held up to this guy's head yeah. during. <laughs> Jakar, what are you doing? What did you think this was going to prove? It was so crazy to me to watch Lando go like, clearly he's being like, yeah. he's saying this stuff under duress. And everybody's like, I don't know. That's pretty <laughs> definitive. Don't you understand? <laughs> Can't you see what they're trying to do? It kind of made me wonder if in a culture full of different aliens and some just being unaware, uninformed or, or too inexperienced to understand like what coercion looks like on the yeah. face of someone, how common this might be. Like, yeah. he's saying all the things, I can hear the translation. Like, what's the confusion here? I didn't even have to wait for the translation. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't seem to be the case here, though. That That is like what you bring to it. It does make you side with Londo a little bit. Yeah, Londo somehow comes out of this looking like he's being victimized. Yeah. And... Is the telepath lady able to read alien brains? Like, wouldn't it be useful to have her here right now? You would think. What's she doing? But telepaths break storylines. They do. So we've got to keep her at a safe distance. So we cut to the fighters and they catch up with this ship that's getting raided and they fight off the attackers and most of them bug out after a few of them get destroyed. Sinclair's like, go in, you know, he, he's like, give some coordinates to a couple of his guys. He's like, we're going to go in this direction. They're like, what are you talking about? All those fighters went in the opposite direction. He's like, that's what I would have done. But he makes the case that like, much like a carrier battle group, like if you get fighters out in space, there's got to be like a command and control ship from which they came. Yeah. And that's what he's looking for. I love this. I love the seasoned fighter pilotness of Sinclair. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Remember all that shit that was in Londo's room on every flat surface? Yeah, I do. Turns out every little piece of bric-a-brac has a thing you can unscrew and screw into something else in order to make a weapon. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that half of the furniture I scrounged up off of the streets of Brooklyn had weapon parts yeah. somewhere in it yeah. when I was in my early 20s. So this this tracks. He's desperate. You can see it in his manner. 
after that scene where he's made to look like a crazy person and Jakar effectively, you know, shuts him out and his people out, really, of any sort of response that matters yeah. to this attack. Yeah, it looks like he's taken matters into his own hands and he builds this gun much like you might build a gun out of pieces of your uniform if you were an imprisoned Klingon. Mm -hmm. And uh, he heads out and... Wouldn't you know it, he bumps right into Talia Winters. And uh, when they make physical contact, she gets like a full, like produced vision of Londo just wasting Jakar on the streets of Babylon 5. Tight little scene here. But what I didn't love is that Londo pops up and hops into the lift and Talia Winters is sort of like stunned. She can't follow him into the lift. There seems yeah. to be a sort of price that she's paid for this ability that she's got. Yeah. It sure seemed like he wasn't moving so fast that he couldn't be apprehended in this scene. But what she is able to do is is get word into Garibaldi, and Garibaldi is on the other side of the lift that Londo gets off of. And look, man, Garibaldi knows how Londo feels. He's been there. Trust me. I'm the guy everyone likes on Babylon 5. Yeah. You got to know, though, if you skin that smoke wagon, I'm going to shoot you dead here in the hallway. Yeah. I don't want to do it. But you lay one finger on a weapon and I'll kill you where you stand. Good moment for Garibaldi. Garibaldi talks Londo out of making a decision that would cost him and everyone else everything. Yeah. This, <laughs> this scene is so intense. And I don't know if, whether this is intentional or not. I think you'd have to watch the rest of the season or the series to get it. But I love how, like, okay, we're taking a breath. Whew. Londo's going to get with it. Londo's going to go home. Oh, Londo, uh, we're going to toss your condo later. We're tossing the Londo condo. <laughs> You've got an hour to put away all the weapons you might have in there. Yeah. What is that about? Disassemble them and like put them back into all the lampshades that they were hidden in. Does he find enough common cause with Londo in the scene to be like, look, I, I still want you to have weapons available to you if you need them, because I get it, remember? I understand what your deal is. But as a professional, I have to toss the Londo condo. So let's just get on the same page here yeah. so that you get what you want and I get what I need to do professionally. That's got to be it. I mean- yeah. Garibaldi's just a good dude. He's doing his boy Londo a solid. Yeah, it's either that or, or Garibaldi's the wharf of security here. Yeah. Or maybe like Londo has like compromat on Garibaldi, you know? Garibaldi's like, hey, uh, in an hour, I'm going to toss the Londo condo. And then uh, I'm going to show you my favorite thing in the world. Maybe you can toss that. <laughs> I'm talking about my butthole. No offense, but it's got sort of a metallic flavor. Seems fine to me. Any of those bottles in there uh, have dressing or syrup? Hmm. Back in uh, the commander's office, he confronts Jakar with another member of Jakar's species that they found out in the, in the command and control ship when they did their little raid. And yeah, it turns out the Narns were behind this whole thing. There's also like smoking gun evidence about how they planned the attack on uh, Rajesh 3 at the beginning of the episode. This looks terrible for Jakar. He can't, he can't explain this away. When they drag this guy by the collar into the room, does he get any dialogue at all? 
No. He had to sit in the chair for that makeup to just get dragged into the room. There's a couple of these guys in the episode that don't get to say anything. It made me wonder if this was a fake. Mm. It's a fake. They just like went down to the lower decks and got somebody yeah. and like, we're going to put you in some loaf so that we can make a, a point diplomatically. You think it's hard to find a Narn on Babylon 5? Oh, man. They're all over the place. Oh, so it's a real Narn. It's not even loaf. Yeah, exactly. I like this theory. So with this evidence, uh, it seems clear that the council is going to move to have the Narn withdraw from Ragish 3, right? Yeah. We learned that the incumbent president won his reelection or is looking like he's going to win. And it seems like Ivanova is like pretty sad about that. She's drinking one off at the bar. Bumming on the uh, continued power of men with weak chins in our society. It's amazing. You see Ivanova at this bar with her hair down. And she is so beautiful. <laughs> I didn't see it coming, you know? You just take her hair out and all of a sudden, holy shit. When she was in the braid, I, she just kind of faded into the background. But then the hair comes down and it's like, hubba hubba. Not only that, she didn't seem like a nice person before. Yeah. Now I want to take her to prom. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So Talia catches up with her and... She's like, hey, so thanks for helping out, you know, preventing the assassination of one of the ambassadors. I'm sorry it was kind of awful to you when you came and like checked in with me at work the other day. That was weak of me. But at least you weren't sitting at my station yeah. at any point. I would have threatened you with physical violence if that had been the case. Uh huh. I just wanted to know if it was me. They connect and uh, we learn a little bit more of Ivanova's backstory. She wasn't just stressed at work in general. She also really has an axe to grind with the whole way people with telepathic abilities are treated in human society. You are so much more read in science fiction than I am. I wonder if you were as intrigued by this as I was. The idea that when you are a telepath, you have three choices. You can join the Psy Corps, which is just a, a place where people with your abilities, like the Mutant Academy and X-Men. Yeah, yeah. You join up, you learn how to use the powers responsibly, you're with people of your own kind, and so forth. The next, if you don't like that, prison. <laughs> Imagine telepath prison, and how difficult that's got to be. Oh, man, yeah. Wow. It's just nothing but, like, lucite glass walls with, you know, single guys in little boxes in the middle of vast spherical rooms. In telepath prison, there are no stockades. <laughs> there are no prison walls. There are only mind games. <laughs> they only have guards that are like super duper dumb. So yeah. if you read their minds, it's like, oh man, that wasn't even worth it. Yeah, you're just guarded by Lenny's. <laughs> so if you don't choose the Psychor, and if you don't choose prison, you can choose telepathic suppressing drugs. Yeah. Which would uh, remove this part of your psyche. And yeah. drugs is what the mom chose. Yeah, and it seems like it really took the edge off her entire existence. Like, she didn't have her powers anymore, but it also just took all the light out of her eyes and... You know, like, I feel like that's a decision you make if you have a family, like, I want to stay with my family, I'll do the drugs. 
and not go away to jail or Psychor. Yeah. And it seems like it took her away anyway, man. Yeah, 10 years of steady decline. And uh, she offed herself. Yeah. And they talk about, like, who was the victim of what, you know? Like, was her mom a victim? Is Talia also a victim in some ways? Because she, like, grew up in the Psychor. Couldn't you say it was, like, the system, man? Yeah. So it's like, man, I've been rooting for Earth this whole episode, and now I find out that Earth is this fucked up? Ivanova's like, I don't hate you, telepath. <laughs> I hate what my mother became because of drugs, and we're not going to be friends because of this. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a word salad compared to what O'Brien said to the Cardassian, but sure. I think the feeling's very similar. Yeah. The button on the episode, I guess, is... uh. Our boy uh, Garibaldi with the bonehead ambassador lady yeah. watching Daffy Duck. That's his second favorite thing. His first favorite thing is uh, stuck into the bottom of that popcorn bucket. <laughs> Explain this sparks to me again. <laughs> if you have to nickname your dick, Duck Dodgers isn't that bad, right? Duck Dodgers is fun. Yeah. Yeah. I gave her the Duck Dodger last night. Uh huh. That's solid business. She rejected the Duck Dodgers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like Delenn here in this scene. She's clearly a person of status and intelligence. Yeah. And she's game to like figure out culturally what Garibaldi is all on about. Like she doesn't know what fucking popcorn is. You can see her like turning a kernel around in her hand. I really like that detail of her performance. Yeah. She wasn't cartoonish in a what the hell is popcorn kind of way? Like, it seemed real. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. This actress was on uh, Lost, which I know you're a big fan of. Really? She's that French lady that's, like, got the rifle that they meet pretty early on. Oh. The others are coming. I like Lost. Yeah. Did you like this episode of Pilot Season, Ben? I did like this episode. I mean, I feel like this has, you know, the comparisons to Deep Space Nine have, you know, are not something we need to go into a ton. Like, I think that it's been adjudicated yeah. elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really like want to judge it against that mm-hmm. or in that context. Cause, and I think that's the spirit of the pilot season project that you were presenting is like what else was out there around the time where we were becoming science fiction fans i think that um the world building in this is really cool and and interesting and 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 pretty rich given the fact that they were obviously constrained with a budget that was not like what some of the bigger shows were getting at the time Mm -hmm. and um i would say that like i'm less intrigued by the characters overall like I kind of like Sinclair, but I'm not like, oh, captain, my captain mm-hmm. to Sinclair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I felt like the cast was was pretty white, you know, for all the diversity of kinds of aliens. It's just like, it's a pretty lily white cast. And, uh, you know, Garibaldi's not enough to make me just want to come back for more with the people anyways. Okay. So, um, yeah, I've, Years ago, we watched some movie on, you know, we rented some movie at Blockbuster and my mom like turned it off halfway through and was like, 
you know, some, it was some crime movie and she was like, I just don't want to, I don't want these people in my living room anymore. Hmm. And I feel like I'm on the verge of that with Babylon five, but I would like feel it out for a couple more episodes. If I was new to this show in a first run syndication scenario. All right. So, yeah, but I don't know. Like uh, that, that's actually something that I'm curious about with all of these. Like, would you watch episode two on the strength of episode one? Yeah. And, uh, I think I'm like a mild yes on this one. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I want to be clear, like my dislike and distaste of this show was mostly performative because I'd never watched it before. Like, it's fun to make jokes about it. Yeah. Not having seen it before. And I was really interested in... Well, it's nerd shit, and we're not about that here on our Star Trek podcast. No, no. I am cool as hell, and I want to stay cool as hell, and that means not being a fan of Babylon 5. (laughs) But what it really made me think about was, like, is Star Trek really that different from this? Like, the Centauri... God, it's, it's hard to look at the Centauri. And when I think about Londo, I'm like... Is Armin Shimmerman in Ferengi Loaf really not as silly <laughs> as this? It's really silly. Ferengi are fucking silly as hell to look at. Yeah, they're And it's guys. just that I've had years and years of exposure bias. Yeah. And and like Star Trek exposure bias is real. And I wonder I wonder if being a Star Trek fan makes it harder to be a fan of other science fiction franchises because of the fit and finish aspects to it. Like I know TNG early seasons were rough in a lot of ways, but man, I really do feel like they had the makeup stuff and the costume stuff and the set design stuff pretty nailed. And the ship looked incredible from jump. And, and that's not something that you can say of Babylon five as a place. I think what Babylon five does a really good job of is like, Peter Jurisic, the, the the actor who plays Lando, like he's a good enough actor to come through how goofy he looks. And he's complicated as a character, even for only watching one episode with him. Yeah. The more time I spent with his character, the less I saw the goofiness. And by the end of the episode, I really got on Babylon 5's level in that way. Like it started to feel credible and good and worthwhile as a as a science fiction place to experience. Totally. So I went in in a cartoonishly against it kind of way, but I came out of it like respect knuckles for Babylon 5. Yeah. Respect knuckles. You are hard sci-fi telling hard sci-fi stories with the budget that you've got and uh and by all accounts you did a great job with it because your fandom is strong and big, and uh, it's a lot like what uh, Giribaldi wanted to show anyone within earshot throughout this episode. So, uh, congratulations, Babylon 5. <laughs> Glad I watched you the one time. Yeah. So, would you watch episode two? I would. Yeah, I think I would. All right. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I think uh, I would watch our p1 inbox and see if there was anything good in there should we head over oh yeah got got to keep an eye on that 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Then our first priority one message is from Danny and it's to M. The message goes like this. Happy birthday. So glad we decided to co-write together. Looking forward to lots more collaboration to come. I love that our fandoms continue to align, whether it be lovelorn aliens from Roswell, nerdy-ass voice actors playing D&D, or all things Star Trek. Thanks for being an <laughs> awesome friend and talented writer. I hope you have a great day. Wow. It looks like uh, this was a, a birthday that happened at the end of December, so mm-hmm. we're, we're off by a couple of months. But a happy birthday, belatedly, Em. I wonder what Danny and Em are writing together. I don't know. It, it seems like they've got a good collaboration going. It reminds oh, yeah. me, I don't think I'm that good at giving you your flowers, Ben. Like, oh, I love making shows with you. I think you're great and funny. I like creating this thing together. Glad you're here. Glad you're here, buddy. I feel exactly the same. Happy way. birthday, Ben. Thank you. Let's <laughs> let's kind of let this overshadow Em's birthday, which we missed. Uh-huh. <laughs> Our next priority one message is from Colin, and it's to us. It goes like this: Hey guys, Colin here. Just wanted to send you some cash to thank you for everything you do. Feel free to put in one or two of your favorite drops that you feel doesn't get enough love. Looking forward to meeting you in Portland. Wow. So we met Colin sure. last year. Yeah. Yep. Colin's one of the greats. We always meet him in Portland. What's a drop that doesn't get enough love is a question that I'm, I'm asking myself now. Oh, Ben, anytime anyone pimps me into a, a drop that doesn't get enough love, I play this one. Well, how do you expect me to type? Not with your fingers. With my nose? would have definite advantages. Okay, it's typing everything I'm saying. Not with your fingers. Oh, my nose! They'll destroy you. Do you see that? With my nose? There it sits. Stop it! Everything you have done, stop with your fingers. Stop with your fingers. Stop. Well, how do you expect me to type? With my nose? Stop. Stop it! Stop. Stop it! Stop. Stop it! Oh, my nose! Stop it. You thought you could handle it. So handle it. That does it, I quit. Oh yeah. I have a real soft spot in my heart for this one. Uh-huh. Admiral Mateo and Valerian Canopies. It's Admiral Nechev. Are those Valerian Canopies? Admiral Nechev. Well, canopies my ass. That's a witch cracker and chopped liver. <laughs> I like the music bed for that that you chose. That was big fun. Yeah, those are two deep cut drops that uh I'd be surprised if either of them ever even got played on Greatest Trek, right? I know. Yeah. Oh, there's a first for everything. If you'd like to hear some of your words flying out of our mouth, one way to do it is to get a Priority One message on the show by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Are we doing Edward Larkins for pilot season? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Who you got for a Larkin? I've got to give it to um, Lonto's lackey guy. The Bobby Moynihan lackey? Yeah, the Bobby, yeah, like the Bobby Moynihan comparison was so intense that I think we both had that in our notes. Yeah. And uh, just like the thirstiness, the like, ah, I don't know what's going on, boss energy. Um, I always like a character like that. I, that's why I like Bobby Moynihan and stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, he is clearly there for comic relief, and he's doing a good job of it. So, uh, he's my Edward Larkin. I think I'm going to make mine Delenn. 
Dolan is the one who like asks for cooler heads when Jakar starts popping off in that meeting. Yeah. Dolan is also who watches Duck Dodgers cartoons with Garibaldi at the end. Yeah. I think what those two scenes suggest is that Dolan has rank. Dolan is wise and Dolan is a no drama 420 friendly down to chill, you know? Yeah. Pretty cool. She's not any danger with Giribaldi, no matter what his definition of uh, most important thing in the universe is. One of the amazing things about traveling to a place that is, you know, not your your own culture is like getting to like go into people's houses and like really like be with them and see what they're like. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's what she's up to yeah. when she goes and watches cartoons with Garibaldi, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, this is a total cultural experience for her. And she is like soaking it up with the kind of curiosity you would hope someone would. Popcorn's one of those foods that like I cannot ever remember not having had it. Like, yeah. do you remember your first time having popcorn? No way. Yeah, I don't either. It's always been a part of my life. My mom would always make it and put it in a brown paper grocery bag in a backpack and we would like sneak it into movie theaters and have homemade popcorn because my parents thought that the popcorn at the movie theater was too like high in, I don't know, palm oil or something. That checks out. Uh huh. So we would have like unseasoned, unbuttered, plain ass popcorn in the movie theater. But it still ruled. I liked it. What a treat. Yeah. You know what? You know what kind of bag of popcorn you never find a dick in, Adam? The bag of popcorn your mom snuck into the theater in, yeah. a, in a backpack. You know what? You're never going to reach into a bag of popcorn and find your dad's dick in there when you go into a family movie. God willing, that does, never happens, you know. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, so a uh, couple of strong larkins for this pilot episode of Babylon 5. Ben, one last thing to do. Hmm. Got to do our warning boy segment. We do have to do that. The hit segment that broadcasts far and wide. A nice thing that someone has said about our show. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, got one here from Apple Podcasts. Look, right or wrong, love it or hate it, Apple Podcasts reviews really move the needle for podcasts, even hit podcasts like ours. Mm. Here's a five-star review for Greatest Trek. Okay. It goes like this. Adam and Ben make life better. Love listening to them chat. Love occasionally disagreeing with their takes. <laughs> this is from Donkey Gandalf. Only occasionally? See, like, if you're thinking about leaving a, f- a review and you think it's going to be, like, some essay that you need to write, doesn't need to be like that. Oh. Five stars. What you like about the show does the job. Donkey Gandalf knows what's up. Yeah. Thanks to Donkey Gandalf. Thank you, Donkey Gandalf. For another five-star review of the hit show Greatest Trek. Yeah. So leave a nice review or recommend the show on social media. Doesn't cost you a nickel, but helps our show a bunch. Free support. How about that? Okay, Adam. So next week, we're going to check out the pilot for a... A television show that I had never heard of until we started like researching what shows were also on in the 
mid to late 90s uh-huh. that were kind of Star Trek adjacent. The show is called Space Precinct, <laughs> sometimes styled as Jerry Anderson's Space Precinct 2040. Mm. It's not even that far from our, our, our present day, this, uh, this Space Precinct show. There's a cap for the show here on IMDb. It says, The Alien Adventures of Former NYPD Detective Patrick Brogan, now a <laughs> lieutenant in the Demeter City Police Department on the planet Altor. Can you imagine? I love hearing all those words. Those are definitely words. Words and names. Yeah. Ben, were you ever permitted to play computer games? Like, I'm thinking of, uh, like, what's the name of the show? Space Precinct? Uh, it's just called Space Precinct. It made yeah. me think of the computer game Space Quest and, and its variation Police Quest. There are a bunch of like computer games played on floppy disk. Yeah. Back in the era where I used to play Gages, the submarine game. Right, right. This would be like in that family of computer games there. Yeah, you click a button and you wait a few beats for the game to process the yeah. input and then tell you what the result was kind of a game. This feels like the name of a game of that era. Yeah, yeah. Oh, here's a... So I'm looking at the episode list here, and I want to say this is another one of these, like there's a an episode zero. Like the pilot is called Welcome to Demeter City, mm-hmm. and then there's season one, episode one, called Protect and Survive. So do you want to watch episode one, or do you want to watch like the episode zero, man? I like watching the episode ones, and here's why. Like, I think it's more representative of the quality of the series. You know, like if right. you if you're really gonna get a sense for what it is, it kind of feels like a movie event might be cheating. Like, give me the fucking commercial breaks. Like, give me all the beats of television. I think that yeah. that makes it feel more of its time. Okay, more representation of what it was trying to achieve. Okay, let's uh, so we'll watch uh, season one, episode one, Protect and Survive, in which Brogan's informant Silk Ostrasky is murdered <laughs> by Tylan Gershom, a smuggler of illegal Zyronite immigrants. And the only witness is slimy Melazoid business executive Armand Loyster. If these are going to be the names, like, just if you're a writer, just don't do the names. <laughs> <laughs> and you especially don't need first name, last name either. Yeah, yeah. His first name is Armand. What's his last name going to be? Hammer? Anyways. I don't know. Looking forward to this one. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to Greatest Trek Pilot Season. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next week on pilot season, come back for Space Precinct. It's the episode called Protect and Survive, and you can find it on several streaming services for free. You can also watch these shows along with other FODs on board the USS Hood Discord at DrunkShimoda.com. Thanks to Adam Ragusea, who composed the theme music for Greatest Trek. You can find his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art. And thanks to Bill Tilly for managing all of the at Greatest Trek social media pages. You can find and follow those online. And thanks to the Max Fund members who contribute directly each month. 
Membership dollars go toward the cost of making a show like this. And if you're able to help out, it's really easy to set up a membership at MaximumFun.org slash join. And of course, we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Oh boy, I've got low-flying helicopters around. I got two helicopters. Whoa! Oh my god! Oh my god! All the way across the sky! Whoa! Wow, lucky you. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.